Team Snow or Team No Snow? Both. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I like the snow until about March. This is the Ag Bioscience Podcast. Welcome and thanks for joining. I'm Mitch Frazier, CEO of Agrinovus Indiana. This is the podcast where we explore all things ag bioscience, the people, the products, the innovations across food, animal health, plant science, and ag tech. Value-added food nutrition accounts for a booming $29 billion in revenue in Indiana. And today's guest is an innovator in quality assurance and food safety critical to that economy. She's incredible. She's an entrepreneur. She's an advocate for sustainability. And she's back in Indiana. Oh, it's good. Welcome. Founder and CEO of Safe Food and Route, Jennifer Crandall, to the Ag Bioscience Podcast. Jennifer, we are elated you're here with us today. Thank you. I am too. Thank you for having me. Of course. Well, before we get to Safe Food and Route, we got to learn a little bit about you, Jennifer. So share with us a little bit about your story and your journey, where you grew up, where you went to school, and your path mm-hmm. to founding Safe Food and Route. Sure. Okay. So you're taking me back way back. Um, I know. So, well, I grew up in Vincennes, Indiana, Knox County. Um, I lived there pretty much from fifth grade on. I started out in Knox County, though, Bruceville area. Uh, And I was the typical athlete, typical involved student. I graduated from Lincoln High School down there in Vincennes, went on to Vincennes University because it was right there and my mom worked for it. So I was able to get some scholarships. I dove and swam on their uh, diving and swimming team. And I had no idea what I was going to go into as far as my field of interest. But my mom, she worked in the chemistry department at Vincennes University and made sure that I had a lot of guidance from all of her peers and her bosses and some of our a local church crowd as well, because many of them worked at the university. So they lined me up and put me into science-based field, uh, just a general chemistry um, major, and then turned kind of into an agriculture major. Um, And then I found uh, through the swimming and diving team, I actually competed at Purdue University both years that I was at Vincennes. That was our first meet of the year. It was their first meet of the year. And uh, one of the years, I can't remember which one, but I was able to visit with the food science department. And that's when I kind of learned, hey, I think this is a really sound career. Uh, It was a smaller department at, uh, yeah, like a school at Purdue. And so it really was natural for me to go from small town to Vincent University, small classes to small classes at Purdue University. So I graduated in there in 98, I had a really great, incredible experience at Purdue, Um, you know, leadership roles in the food science club and just learning as much as I could learn. Um, I started my career eight years into manufacturing and I worked in different roles. Quality assurance was the main focus, but I did do some production supervision. Um, I was back at Phil for buyer planner positions, that sort of thing. So I worked at Crossroad Farms Dairy in Indianapolis, which is a Kroger owned plant. And then I worked at Safe way uh, Bellevue Milk. So way out in Seattle, they hooked me and got me out there. And then they moved me to Maryland for another position in Maryland. And then that plant closed. So I went on to a juice manufacturing facility in Maryland and then moved back to Indiana to one more dairy, uh, Smith Dairy in Richmond, Indiana. But we, um, so we, we ended up in Indiana and I decided, um, I saw an opening at Kroger again 
And I thought, I'm going to move up again and try to get another position while there was a, a job at corporate Kroger. And so I switched. At that point, I moved into corporate Kroger and I spent the next 12 years at corporate Kroger in downtown Cincinnati area. We moved and relocated to northern Kentucky at that point. Kroger laid a huge foundation and I give a lot of credit of my career and knowledge to what I had learned while I was there. And um, I spent time with mostly the whole time was around private label manufacturing. And so I was doing quality assurance in the first couple of years, which was really tapping into a lot of the things I learned at Purdue, sensory panels, um, you know, doing food chemistry checks, pH and that sort of thing. But it was monitoring how the third party suppliers were doing it. And then uh, cert food safety certifications really started taking pull. So 2008, I took on a new role at the company and it was triggered by the Global Food Safety Initiative. We call it GFSI. Those food safety certifications started getting a lot of traction in the United States. They'd been around for a bit uh, and were recognized in Europe at that point. And what it is, is a, it's a global benchmark process of what is expected of food safety. And it was a blend of industry professionals, academic. Uh, there was a little bit of regulatory, but not a lot. And then industry. And it was a blend of everyone coming together and benchmarking what an audit should look like. Because up until that point, third-party auditors could basically audit against whatever program they wanted to. And so they all were writing their own and then holding companies accountable to it and grading them on their efforts. The GFSI audit schemes became such a big deal and Kroger required all of their suppliers to meet that requirement. Um, and so I became the person in the background at Kroger asking everyone for proof of how they were getting to that audit scheme level. If they weren't there yet, what is your timeline? Um, and so for the next five years, that's what I focused on it. In the back end of it, I took us from spreadsheet to an access database, to a software, an online platform. And then I took it as far as I really could take it. Um, in that time frame, I took it uh, as well. I was monitoring about 1,200 manufacturing sites in the beginning. And by the end of it, I was taking out the regulation around the or the requirement around the perimeter of the store as well. So including the bulk ingredients and then all of the raw material ingredients and packaging as well. So it ended up being around 10,000 manufacturing facilities that I was wow. monitoring. Huge data. Um, so, you know, as people talk about big data, well, you know, you have to be able to digest it. I was the one on the back end digesting it all, trying to keep up with it and monitor it. That took me to... I'm burnout. <laughs> so I took a detour. I call it my three-year detour. And I actually went into global sourcing at Kroger and helped them try to look at, evaluate whether it made sense to do direct imports or not. And so I was um, basically sourcing suppliers during bid process of, you know, things that we were bidding and trying to look at that in general of, you know, do they meet our requirements? Can we actually import it and handle all of the supply chain or not? And um, which that was an incredible experience. And it was perfectly timed because right after that, the Food Safety Modernization Act went into effect and it had a new rule in it that went into effect very shortly after around foreign suppliers. And so I went back into corporate food technology, focused on foreign suppliers at that point, 
And that took me all the way up until I quit. <laughs> um, so um, that was my, that would have been of 20 years in the industry in my career. So 12 years at Kroger and eight years in manufacturing. Um, and it was very eclectic per se, but um, also helped me get very well-rounded and ready for feeling like I could own a consulting company. Uh, it's so good. And, and that's really where Safe Root, our Safe Food and Route was born, right? This mm -hmm. idea of you're working at Kroger, you have all this data, you understand the industry. At, at what point was it like, you know what? You're burnt out. It's probably time to do something different. What was that spark that said, I'm going to go create this thing? <laughs> um, most of it was the interaction that I had with the supply chain. So the, the way that the foreign supplier rule uh, it's Foreign Supplier Verification Program Rule, FSVP, we call it for short. Um, the FSVP rule defines the importer differently, and this is the FDA's version of an importer, versus the way U.S. Customs does. Um, so an importer can has to be, it can be, an import, importer can be in anywhere in the world. You don't have to be in the United States, according to U.S. Customs. With, and, and I don't want to say that I know customs law, so please let me give that disclaimer here. But I know that enough about that. The FSVP rule defines that the importer has to be a U.S. customer or the U.S. consignee. And if there's not one of those, then somebody can act as an agent on behalf of the company, foreign company. Um, when that became clear... And, and the companies, all the companies, all the retailers and um, distribution companies started recognizing what that meant. That meant that they had to identify who is going to be importer or not. And uh, the way the law is written, it gives flexibility. You can choose. So in the relationship, if you're the importer and I'm the consignee, you're the U.S. customer, I'm the consignee, we could have a conversation and have an agreement around it. Kroger jumped, uh, and, and I say this, it's not just Kroger, all of the retailers did this. They sent letters out to their to their supply chain and said, in the event that two of us can act as importer, we do not want to do it. In <laughs> um, you know, there's paraphrasing it, obviously, but that put the liability of this food safety work around that law onto the, um, and the, the importers. And so that's where I come in because I was the one that executed the letter. I wasn't the signator, but I was the one that executed and they were responding to me with, we agree um, to take on that liability. Well, there was a lot of companies that were coming in and saying, I don't know what you're talking about. And they were confused. And so that was where the spark kind of hit that, hey, I know how to do all of this. I spent the last eight years helping the company manage big data. I can do this. And I naively thought I could start it on a spreadsheet, which is very funny, um, knowing that I couldn't. <laughs> but I did land clients very quickly sure. after I quit because I had great relationships, a great network from my Kroger days. Um, and so I was able to write them all and say, hey, this is what I'm going to do. Um, I know that you need help in this area. And uh, so we went from managing a lot of people's foreign supplier uh, verification program rule. We do act as agent uh, for a few that are um, international that do not have any presence here in the United States as well. So that's a lot a longer story, but it's, I think, imperative to hear the full story just to understand the context, because a lot of it's driven by what the retailers want. Sure. And then it puts, you know, that liability on the other party. So then 
they have to take action. And I will say before I end that segment, I'm sorry, the, um, the importers do not have the type of people on staff that they need. A lot of them, if anybody's familiar with the importing community, a lot of them are very administrative. They handle logistics. They handle all of those other components of importing the product to the United States. Sometimes they're arranging for warehousing and that sort of thing, but they're not usually looking at food safety quality. They're relying on their customer to help them monitor that. And that's where the liability happened that, yeah, we we're going to tell you what requirements we have, but we don't want to do the work around making sure that they meet all of the requirements for the U.S. We just want you to meet our requirements. So it was a very clean line for me to say, I think this is an entry point for, for me and my company. For sure. And it's what a great example of entrepreneurship where conditions in a market change, opportunity is created. Someone with skills, someone with insights say, boy, I think I can solve that. And you've done mm -hmm. it, Jennifer. It is amazing the work that you've done. And I want to maybe fast forward now to the world that we live in today. Mm -hmm. we, we thought we were post-pandemic. I think we're still somewhere in the pandemic. We released a study last year with Purdue and Ernst & Young that really looked at the fragilities of the supply chain and how, how it was broken. I mean, how our supply chain was broken amidst COVID. I mean, for the first time in my 42 years on the planet, I went to the grocery store and more things on the shelves. And so as you look at that from a food safety standpoint, how are grocers, how are you thinking about food safety? Does that create opportunity uh, where you have fragile supply chains, broken supply chains? How is how has the COVID era affected your business? Well, so we started out as a remote uh, company, service-based company. So in the beginning of the pandemic, really nothing changed with our efforts of how to approach companies because we were very focused on that foreign supplier verification rule. And we do it all on paperwork uh, based on the paperwork that we receive. So we're doing evaluations on paperwork. Um, that The change that happened is the, our growth changed because one, we were introduced to Purdue Foundry. So I learned about Purdue Foundry and then I joined some efforts with them. I actually was part of a couple of their programs. And um, one of them was the double down experiment during the 2020 time. And that we literally doubled. <laughs> so um, the pandemic helped me because actually that, I don't believe they were doing it uh, through online um, type of meeting forums before the pandemic. So that helped us. Uh, so we we actually increased our growth. I doubt I would have done the uh, extra, you know, I wouldn't have gone through the cohorts and that sort of thing because I was about three and a half hours south of campus and that would be right. difficult to go every couple of weeks. So that was good for us on that side. As far as the retailer and the manufacturer, so we did start getting requests for helping manufacturers meet some of the regulatory requirements around FDA new rules as well. And so that started expanding us. Now, where we see changes there are, uh, you know, it, and it's, I wouldn't say it's necessarily a change. It's a, a struggle that we've seen maybe some of the obstacles of a growing business is that a lot of times they can't put resources on the ground at a manufacturing plant that is starting from, you know, we just shifted from a certified kitchen and now we're getting established as a manufacturing company in our own building. 
and they don't have the resources, the monetary resources to be able to hire people with 20 years experience. So that's where we come in and assist and help them by giving them people to outsource to. So we're, you know, kind of outsourced sure. experts in that sense. And that's where I think we've helped be able to impact the supply chain as far as getting products on the shelf. Um, and this is just notable trends that we're seeing. You know, the regulatory agencies haven't been in the facilities as much. Uh, the FDA just announced, I think yesterday, that they're going to start re reinstating some of their inspections that they weren't doing before. So we haven't been seeing some of the regulatory activity that we normally do. And I don't think that's going to help our supplies uh, much because, you know, when you're out of sight, out of mind, mistakes start getting made from a food safety perspective. Uh, but, you know, if the companies are being proactive and hiring, hopefully companies like ours, <laughs> they, they can kind of offset that. But that's, that's probably been the biggest thing. Um, the importing situation where there's a lot of boats and, things at the port, you know, there's a lot of containers holding a lot of different products, or they're not even at the ports, they're having overseas COVID issues as well. That's been definitely a trickle effect. And being able to get parts being able to just like we saw with the automobile industry, sure. you know, and I think that one was one of the ones that was most visible to people. Well, we don't have the mic, you know, that chip that needed. So all of these cars are built and can't operate because we don't have a specific computer chip. Uh, but we also didn't have a lot of parts for them. And I think we're going to start seeing that kind of fall through in our manufacturing facilities as well, where depending on the size of company, you don't have the leverage that you need in order to be able to get the products that you need to be able to keep running your equipment. And so we might see an outfall of more recalls. Um, I've been seeing an uptick in foreign material. I don't know the reason. I can hmm. only speculate, but I kind of wonder if that's a little bit related as well. Fascinating. Well, Jennifer, <laughs> we we are out. We are out of time today. Oh we gosh. could spend all <laughs> kinds of time together. But sincerely, thank you for being here in Indiana. Yeah. Thank you for joining us. And we are elated that Safe Food and Route and you are part of the Ag Bioscience Economy here in Indiana. Yeah. Thanks so much. She is Jennifer Crandall, founder and CEO of Safe Food and Route, and this is the Ag Bioscience Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. You can always get the latest Ag Bioscience news and innovation, as well as our complete library of Ag Bioscience Podcasts online wherever you listen to podcasts. And as always, you can learn more online at agronovisindiana.com. On behalf of the entire Agronovis Indiana team, I'm Mitch Frazier, thanking you for listening. We look forward to seeing you real soon. This podcast is a product of Inside Indiana Business, hosted by Gary Dick and produced by Kayla Chittister and Joe Ullery. More people get Indiana business news from Inside Indiana Business than any other source.